We'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were children because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving his priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And then the time for the burning of the incense came. All the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped by fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be a great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well among, along her years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you of this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day of this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people who were waiting for Zechariah and wondering what, why he stayed so long in the temple when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord, had done this, the Lord has done this for me, he said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away the disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. In scripture, there were different responsibilities within the priesthood depending on your ancestry. So among the people of God, there were chief priests that lived in Jerusalem and worked there at the temple. The chief priests were aided by the help of many other priests. Somewhere between 15 and 20,000 of these priests were scattered throughout the villages and the towns of Judea and Galilee. The temple was, as you can see, quite a large Structure. I don't know if you've ever seen sort of a drawing of what first century temple looked like, but it was a large structure. And so, and, and, and even though as large as it was, there were far too many priests for them to all be at the temple at the same time. So, according to King David's directions, and you can actually read about this in First Chronicles chapter 24, these priests were divided into 24 separate groups. Zechariah fell within one of these groups. These priests were ordinary folks who worked as laborers. They were craftsmen. They were shopkeepers in their town or their village that they lived in. They served on a rotation in Jerusalem at the temple, which meant twice a year uh, they would journey to the temple, stay for a week in the lodgings within the temple precincts, and perform the regular temple liturgy during that week. Once their week of service there at the temple was over, they would return 
home, to their village or their town, to their family, and continue the normal work of being a leader in their local community. Why do I tell you all that information? Because I want to, us to understand the context of the story that Caleb just read for us. We find Zechariah faithfully carrying out his duties as a priest. Luke is intentional on letting us know Zechariah and Elizabeth represent all that is noble when it comes to first century Judaism, personal devotion, respect for God, respect for the temple, uh, moral uprightness in observance of the law. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not folks who were just going through the motions when it came to their, their faith. Their outward respect for God and his temple was matched only by an, was matched by an, by an inward devotion, an inward desire, a purity of heart, an inward desire to be obedient to their God. Why is this so important? Because the story we just heard takes place in the midst of extreme disappointment and in the midst of an extended time of waiting. Elizabeth is barren. In ancient times, people believed that the inability to conceive was directly related to the disfavor of God. It was a disgrace. Some would go so far as to say it was punishment for sin. Barrenness and the disgrace associated with it is a common theme you see throughout Scripture. In Genesis chapter 16, you know Sarah was barren, and Sarah goes to Abram, and she says these words, The Lord has kept me, the Lord has kept me from having children. So she comes up with her own plan for the lineage of Abram to continue. Jacob's wife, Rachel, is barren once God provides a baby for her. Notice what Rachel says about her situation before. God has taken away my disgrace. In 1 Samuel 1, Hannah's dealing with the poking and the prodding of an irritating rival due to her barrenness. It's so bad she would weep. She would refrain from eating. Her husband tried to assure her of, of his love, but it was just overwhelming this barrenness that Hannah was dealing with. And here's what it says. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much. She prayed to the Lord, wept, but still experienced this bitterness in her soul. Later on, it says these words. She says these words about herself. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses is giving instructions to the people of God before they enter into the promised land. He is encouraging them, follow the law of the Lord, live in obedience. And when he's telling them, obey God and and follow his commands, part of the blessings that follow that is this. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless. A little later on, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, tells them the opposite, right? The blessings, if we don't obey God and we don't, aren't obedient to, 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 his and, to him and his direction for what he wants for us as a people, there will be curses. And in Deuteronomy 28, he says these words, the fruit of your womb will be cursed. I hope it's a little easier to understand that childless women were often mocked, considered a disgrace. Children were considered a blessing, and childlessness was considered a curse. Uh, 
a sign of God's disfavor. I believe we can assume Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for a child, but now they were both beyond the age of childbearing. It's not too far of a stretch this morning to assume they had to deal with humiliation and days that turned into months that turned into years of ever-increasing hopelessness and despair. When we read of the the profound affirmations of Zechariah and Elizabeth here in, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke says both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Should we not expect Zechariah and Elizabeth to be blessed with children? And yet, Elizabeth had to endure disgrace among many people. This is important. I want you all to hear this this morning. Today, we do not believe sin or the disfavor of God to be the cause of infertility. Jesus challenges this notion notion in his ministry, but, but it's important for the context of this story in Luke's narrative that we are considering this morning together. Ancient people believed this connection existed. And I think that's why Luke wants people to know that Elizabeth and Zechariah are, are good people, right? These are, these are good people. They're being obedient to God, right? They're, 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 it's not a curse that they're dealing with because of their disobedience to God. These are good, obedient folks. Have you ever felt like you are living in obedience to God and yet still feel forgotten? If that's you, I think Zechariah and Elizabeth can empathize with you. Not only them, but at this point in the story, we realize the season that we are in of Advent, of anticipating the coming of the birth of the Messiah for the people of God, anticipating his return for us. At this point in the story, the people of God understood Zechariah and Elizabeth's lot as well. They had heard the promises that had been passed down generation after generation after generation. Messages like this from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hundreds of years had passed since these words were prophesied. And they were waiting patiently, perhaps sometimes impatiently, right? Is this going to be the year? Will he come in my lifetime? Will I see him? Generation after generation clinging to the hope of the promise. Generation after generation with nothing to prove that this was true. Have you ever felt like You're living in obedience to God. You're doing your best to do what you're supposed to do, what you think God wants you to do, and still you feel forgotten. That's where Zechariah and Elizabeth were. Zechariah, in the midst of extreme disappointment, in a time of continued waiting uh, for the fulfilling of this promise, what is he doing? He's fulfilling his duty at the temple. 
And on this occasion, Zechariah was appointed to go into the inner court to offer incense. So part of the temple liturgy was the priests would offer sacrifices, and, and they would burn incense in morning and evening every, every day. Sacrifices were, were made twice a day. And when the people saw the smoke from the burning incense, they would, they would pray, and the smoke drifted heavenward, and it was symbolic of their prayers ascending to God's throne. Traditionally, when the priest would finish burning the incense, he would return to the people who were outside of the sanctuary, and he would offer a traditional blessing over the people there. On this particular day for Zechariah, regular duty turned into extraordinary, an extraordinary vision. I want us to hear this this morning. Prayer is important. Do you believe that? Prayer is important. It has been said before that that prayer functions as the context for divine revelation. We read this story, uh, not only Zechariah is praying, but, but, but we read in the story there are others, all the people there that are outside, had gathered together praying, and an angel appears there before Zechariah. As you can imagine, it startles him. It He's gripped with fear, right? And the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. It's a common refrain, as we heard last week, right? An angel shows up. It seems like the first words the angel has to say, don't be afraid. And that's what Zechariah hears. And then the angel says this, your prayer has been heard. I read that, and, and I wonder, in that moment, Zechariah startled who knows what he's thinking. But if he really heard what the angel just said to him, I wonder what prayer did Zechariah think the angel was talking about? Did he believe that the child that was promised must be coming? That's not what the angel told him. The angel said, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. What? Right? I'm sure in that moment, like, Zechariah's like, I know I'm getting old. My, ears, my hearing's going out. I must have not heard exactly what Gabriel just said. Uh, what did Gabriel goes into great detail about who this son will be, how he was supposed to be raised, uh, why he, what he will do, the joy that he will bring, Zechariah and Elizabeth, even tells him what this boy's name would be. I'm not sure Zechariah heard, heard any of that. He's trying to, what? What, what are you saying to me? He's processing, trying to figure this out. I'm not sure he was able to process any of it. Because here's what he says. Are you sure? Right? Are you sure? I'm an old man in, in Zechariah. Not only was he righteous, but he was really wise. Because then he says, and my wife, she's well into her years. <laughs> right? Just like, I'm an old man. My wife, she's, she's well, in, right? She's beyond the age of childbearing beyond the age of childbearing. Are you sure, Gabriel? Like, this can't be happening. Shock and awe and amazement at the sight and in the presence of the angel there turns into doubt and disbelief, perhaps because the message seems impossible due to years of unanswered prayers, years of disappointment, years perhaps of feeling forgotten. Maybe that's you this morning. A marriage that's struggling, a prodigal child, fighting to to make ends meet financially, tension within the home. Maybe you're failing at school. Maybe it's an aging spouse or parent or grandparent. 
Maybe it's a lost loved one recently or a lost loved one whose memories just seem to produce more sadness than joy. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a crisis, a a disappointment, a long wait, forgotten hope, facing what looks and seems barren. You ask the question, is God listening? I have some good news for you this morning. Your prayer has been heard. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. God listens and hears our prayers. Maybe Zechariah was still praying for his son. Maybe he was praying for the coming of the Messiah. In either case, his prayer was answered that day. He would soon have a son who would prepare the way for the Messiah. You want to see God move in your life, in our community, in our world? We must be people of prayer. We must be people of prayer. Don't give up on prayer. Your situation looks hopeless. Keep on praying. If we want to see prayers answered, we must be open to what God can do in impossible, barren situations. We need to ask ourselves this question. Is the voice of disappointment louder than the voice of God's promise? Is the voice of disappointment that we keep hearing in our minds and in our hearts And the hopelessness that has perhaps set in, is that louder than the voice of God's promises in our life? Zechariah's age spoke louder than God's promise that day. When God speaks to us, what speaks the loudest? Our doubts and and disbelief in our situations? Or is it our faith and trust in a God that does the impossible? Some of you know the story of God calling me here to Bedford. Allison and I had just graduated from Trebekah down in Nashville in 2005, that May. Uh, The majority of my religion major friends that I had sort of gone through those four years and gotten really close with, the majority of them either had jobs and churches and ministry lined up, or they were planning just to go to seminary that August, kind of knew what their future plans looked like. For me, I was moving back home to live with mom and dad, and to work at a credit union. Woo, right? I mean, doesn't that sound like graduate college? Here you go, right? I didn't have any direction. I was moving back home with mom and dad, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I knew for me that wasn't a long-term plan, obviously. And I wasn't thrilled about it, so I made a deal with God. God, if you could just figure something out for me, like by August, I don't mind spending the summer here at my home and working at the credit union. That would be great. I can handle this for a couple of months. June passed. July passed. August came, and Allison got a teaching job. We'd been dating for for two and a half years at that point, and and we attended many weddings that summer. I played at a number of weddings that summer. I just didn't feel right going to her dad, asking for her hand in marriage, and And I'm living with mom and dad. That just didn't seem like it was going to work, right? So she got a a teaching job in Ohio uh, late July. I got a call from a church in Tennessee. I went and interviewed at that church. At this point, I was desperate, but I knew that wasn't right. That wasn't for me. Mid-August came. I felt like the deal I made with God was, was coming to a close. He wasn't working how I thought he should, and I was getting 
beyond frustrated. My patience was wearing thin. I wasn't sure if he was interested in me. I wasn't sure if he was paying attention and knew what was going on in my world. I'll never forget the passage of Scripture that God gave me that August. Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. There's a valley full of dry bones. The the prophet walks around to and fro, and he's looking at these bones, and, and he mentions these bones were very, very dry. God led the prophet all around that valley. And then, and then God asked him, Son of man, can these bones live? And I will never forget reading the prophet's response and being so touched and God meeting with me in that moment. Notice the prophet's response. O sovereign Lord, you alone know. You alone No. The prophet looks at the bones and the prophet thinks, no, I don't see it. I don't think it can happen. But the prophet doesn't say that. The prophet looks at God. The prophet looks at the bones and he thinks hopeless. This is, there's no hope. This is a barren situation. It's just very dry bones. But the prophet's response was, God, you know. I don't know. (laughs) But God, you know. No. In that moment, God reminded me, although I didn't have all the answers, and although there was great uncertainty, and although I wished things were happening faster than they were, God knew. God saw me. And even though my situation looked hopeless, and even though my situation looked, it was barren in my eyes, God knew. I didn't have any leads, no traction anywhere, so... I told all my family members, all of my friends, hey, give anybody you know my name and my number. I'm just trying to get my name and my number out there. September passed. I had a cousin that was a youth pastor in Jacksonville, Florida area. In October, they had a revival with a guy by the name of Billy Huddleston. Many of you know him. My cousin that was a youth pastor there just gave my number to Billy on a whim. Hey, if you run across... Anybody looking for an associate, here's a, here's a name and a number. The very next week, Billy was doing a revival at Valley Mission. He knew Pastor Brian Rogers, who was here at the time. And Billy and Brian got together for lunch that week. And it just so happened, just so happened, that Restoration Then Davis Memorial was looking for a youth pastor. I got a phone call from Brian that week. And here we are, 16 years later. I didn't have much hope in Georgia, but by way of Jacksonville, Florida, I ended up in Bedford, Indiana, of all places. If that's not God, I don't know what is. Dead bones came to life out of barrenness. That's the power of God at work. There's a a consequence to Zechariah's questioning of Gabriel's message. He'd be unable to speak until his boy's birth. Once Zechariah emerged from the inner sanctuary, people were well aware. Not only had he been in there longer than normal, 
they were obviously aware. Something unique just happened inside the inner sanctuary. Zechariah is mute. He can't talk. Can you imagine the scene there? As Zechariah comes out to the people and begins to make signs and gestures and tries to tell them and communicate what just took place inside that sanctuary. I mean, that was the most difficult game of charades for Zechariah ever, right? I mean, that would have been really, really hard. But what about when he returned home? Like, how did that conversation and interaction go with Elizabeth? I mean, I think it was a no-win situation for Zechariah. He's like, He's like, well, are you calling me? No, 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 right? Like you, like, you know, like it was a no-win situation for him. But Elizabeth gets the picture. Here's the message. When I think about Zechariah being mute, not able to speak for months, I realized Zechariah had a lot of time to listen. A lot of time to listen. And what did he hear? Probably a lot of things that he hadn't caught before, things and sounds and noises around him that uh, he had just perhaps tuned out. He began to hear a lot of things that he hadn't heard before, had not heard before, rather. But I also think he got a chance to listen to God like never before. And I wonder what the messages were that God gave Zechariah. Hey, 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 Zechariah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I have seen your situation, how you've served me, how you've remained obedient, how you and Elizabeth have been so faithful to follow the law. I am so proud of you two. I have heard your cry. I have heard the cry of your heart. I know you thought it wasn't possible, but that's what I do best. It's what I do best. Whenever others look on and and think hopeless, despair, dead, barren, I specialize in bringing life, redemption, and restoration. I've been doing it since the beginning of time. That's what I do. Hey, hey, Zechariah, I've heard the cries of my people. I know you've been talking to me about it for a while. I, I, I just want you to know, Zechariah, I am faithful to my promises. I'm going to send a baby. The world has no idea what's in store. Hey, Zechariah, you get to see the promise fulfilled. Maybe it would do us some good in this season, the season that just is so wrapped up in go, 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 to remember to be still and not forget to listen, to listen, to put down the phone to turn off the TV, to take out the earbuds, maybe to wake up 30 minutes earlier, to find the time to be quiet and to listen. Is God listening? Yes, right? He has told us your prayers have been heard. I am listening. The question for us to consider, are we listening to him? Have we been quiet long enough to hear his voice? There may be someone here this morning who's dealt with a lot of disappointments, maybe some broken promises or heartaches, losses, too many to count perhaps for you. We've asked for help and it feels like our voice isn't heard. We feel forgotten. Where is God? Is he listening? Our situation looks barren. It looks hopeless. Maybe Maybe we've been given great news like Zechariah was there in the inner sanctuary, but 
We don't buy it. We don't believe it. How could we? We've been disappointed one too many times. There's no way. That's impossible. Can I tell you again, your prayer has been heard. You look at your life. Look at our community. Look at our country. Look at at our world. And it may feel barren. It may feel hopeless. But God specializes in bringing life to barren places. And so I close with one last question. Where are the barren places? Where are the barren places in your life? Where are the barren places in our community? Where are the barren places in southern Indiana? Where are the barren places in our our world? What relationship right now seems beyond repair? What injustices seem too big for God? What prayers have you been praying for years with nothing changing? Where are the barren places? We may not have every prayer answered in the way we hope or expect, but if we choose to remain obedient, if we choose to listen to God, we will be witnesses to God bringing life to barren places in our lives, in our church, and in our world. Luke 1, 25, the words of Elizabeth this morning. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amen.